0: Welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. Here's your host, David Webley.
1: Good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, the 1st of June, uh, a very cold and wet Melbourne. However, I'm delighted to be in the office with the amazing Gemma Saunders, who's joining us today. Gemma, good morning. Good morning.
0: How Thanks are for you? having me on this wintry Melbourne day. It is
1: like being back in the UK. Yeah. Um, so, welcome to the latest episode of Conversations with Thought Leaders. Today we're talking about how to grow beyond diversity, such an important topic. Um, For those that don't know me, my name's David Webley. I'm the Managing Director and Founder of Granite Consulting. Um, We're technology and project recruitment specialists. Really interesting world of talent at the moment, hard to find people, lots of career opportunities. Feel free to get in touch with us if you want to talk about um, what the market looks like and what the opportunities might be. Um, I'm also the co founder of Conversations with Thought Leaders, which, as many of you know, was set up during COVID just to connect our community with great leaders from all over the world. Enough about myself. Gemma Saunders. Um, So, for those that don't know Gemma, and I know many of you will, Um, Gemma's the founder of a consulting business called Workplace Edit. So Workplace Edit partner with organisations, they've got about 30 clients all over the world, they've been going for a few years now, and they adopt and leverage the huge value of a diverse workforce. Some of the clients that you'll have heard about, Afterpay, Linktree and Sportsbet, to mention but a few. Um, She's also the board member of Wear It Purple, uh, a board member of minus 18, and a finalist in the Australian LGBTI Awards. Um, prior to setting up Workplace Edits, uh, Gemma was the senior executive at Medibank, charged with building a diverse and inclusive workplace, part of the senior leadership team, originally from the southwest of England like myself, Exeter and Devon, great, great county Devon if you've not been there, home in the, cre- the cream tea I believe. Um, is that true, Gemma? Yes, yeah. It yeah. is definitely true. If you okay. love, a,
0: love a Devonshire tea, that's uh, That that's is the place for you.
1: And now we can travel. Get over there. That's it. Um, so we're going to do a couple of housekeeping things before we get into it. So we've got our Q&A function running as always, bottom of your screen. Um, no such thing as a bad question. Please ask the questions when you think of them and we'll weave them into the conversation. We'd love to hear what you're thinking and, and answer your questions. We've also got the chat function open so if there's any other communication please send it through um traditional book giveaway um so the book giveaway today is an amazing title invisible women by caroline perez uh peter's going to share you a copy of that book sunday times bestseller so here's the question in a couple of words what comes to mind when we say workplace diversity and inclusion first 10 people to contribute get a free copy of the book What have we got so far?
0: And there's no, no right or wrong. No fences, right or wrong. So just whatever comes to mind for you when you hear those words.
1: No right or wrong. What have we got? Here we go. Happy productive team. Tim Way, thank you very much for leading us. Um, people from all mm-hmm. genders, races, religions. Thank you, Gary. Um, Leo, psychological safety. Great point. Groupthink, collective intelligence. Sean. Thank you, Sean. Full representation. Very true. Any more for any more. Creating space for humans to be truly authentic to who they are and confident to show up in the world, honoring that authenticity, being true to yourself. Brilliant, Alana. Thank you for sharing that. Um, growth mindset, mm, not groupthink. I'm that, sure we're yeah. going to get into that a bit more. Nice one, Leo. Thank you. Valuing difference, yeah, it's a really important um, theme that we've had through. Thank you, Renee, for sharing that. We appreciate it. While we're waiting for anything else to come through, we might get into it, Gemma. Yeah, sure. So, um, can you tell us a bit about your backstory, please? Sure. Sure.
0: Uh, well, you covered a fair bit of the bio. I love that you mentioned the LGBTI Awards and where I was a finalist. I think my mum found it the most interesting fact was um, Orange is the New uh, the new Black, you know, the Netflix show. Yes, shirt. They yeah. were finalists at the same time. So my mum was way more excited about that than, uh, than me being a finalist. But, um, yeah, fast forward to today, working with a range of global, local um, and national organisations yep. around kind of the intersection of employee experience and diversity, equity, and inclusion. So the idea of workplace edits is to edit the workplace rather than editing the people. So the messages that have come through around uh, people being truly authentic, um, being able to show up as their true self in the workplace um, and honour their authenticity, that's what we want. We want to look at how do we edit the workplace so that people can truly... Contribute their best selves, yep. um, so that they're not modifying themselves. Where you get that sort of, you know, the um, you know the similarity bias and the the groupthink, yeah. where the dominant perspective yeah, takes yeah, over. Absolutely. We want to make sure that not only we have visible diversity, but people can actually share their opinions, their diversity of thought, yeah. um, share their concerns about the work workplace um, yeah. and, and have that respected and honoured as well. Yeah, so, fantastic. Yeah. It's
1: actually a great name for a business as well. It, where did you get the name from? Who gave you the idea? Or do you, you just came to the Do you know what?
0: It? When I was younger, I really wanted to work for like Vogue magazine as okay. an editor. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I think I just sort of had that old career of the past in mind yeah. and um yeah, and just this concept of we need to, and it, it comes up in the book that we're giving away today, actually, yep. by um, Caroline Criado Perez around invisible women, which is, um, you know, how do we edit the workplace rather than, um, you know, make people change who they are? So yep. that, that's, that's sort of that concept, really.
1: And was there a trigger to start your business? Was it always part of a plan or was it an opportunity? Was there anything, any sort of compelling Events in your life that cause you to think, you know, which I think is really Mm. brave and amazing, by the way, starting your own business. Um, What led you to go on that journey of of being an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, look, I think for me, I had um, a great experience at Medibank, so ASX Top 50 organization, um, and drove with a number of colleagues, no one ever does it themselves, but um, drove a number of changes around inclusive, uh, creating an inclusive workplace there. And a couple of call outs were. Really, being on the forefront of flexible and hybrid working. Yeah. Um, going back ten years ago, I was recruiting a full uh, work-from-home model. I was recruiting wow. people completely using go-to meetings before Zoom was even around. Yeah. Uh, virtual hiring, virtual onboarding—that um, was that was my world. So, it was a pretty leading edge in terms of virtual, remote, and flexible working and could see the power that that had in terms of inclusivity. Um, and one of the other things that I did just before leaving Medibank was to really remove the labels in the parental leave policy, yeah. so that more men and um, carers and, and parents of all genders could yeah. actually take that really important time, and yeah. so that we could actually reduce the uh, social norm of it being you know, just the woman who, who yeah. does that you yeah, know, yeah. in a heterosexual context. Um, so I'd led a fair bit of change and had a really great experience at Medibank. And a number of people were tapping on my door saying, tell me, tell me how you do it, tell me what we should know, tell me what we should um, be considering. And I thought, well, look, I, I think this is sort of my next direction is to take that impact that I've had and, and share it and take it more broadly. So, uh, and apply, I think that idea of learning, someone else had put in here, growth mindset as well, yeah. is I wanted to challenge myself in, in new environments, new contexts. Uh, new industries. Yeah. So that was part of it as well, was to think how do I grow?
1: I just want to go, you mentioned something really interesting labels, and, and where do you, how do you think Australia is doing in that whole? Position around labels. And I think the parental leave is, is something that's always resonated with me. And, and I also think the other thing I'd be interested to get your view on is the concepts of job sharing. You know, I yep. love Australia, I've been here 17 years. But if I compare, you know, with a business in the UK and Australia, I think traditionally, although it is changing, the concepts of a job share with one day overlap was maybe not quite where the UK was in Australia for many years. Yep. So I'm interested to get your view around that. and. And what progress has been made in Australia and what we can do to keep advancing it?
0: Ah, love that question. So on the progress front, I would say, you know, Australia, 95% of primary caregivers are women in Australia. Now, that is high in terms of other OECD countries. So the male participation in parental leave um, and taking paid parental leave, either the government parental leave or an employer-paid parental leave, uh, needs to shift. And that needs to shift so that, um, women can participate more yeah. in the workplace, right? Yeah, so we need to have more equal share sharing of the caregiving um, responsibilities. So in terms of where we're at, there's still work to be done.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and some of the organisations out there, Medibank was one of the first national employers to remove the labels. And yeah. since then, we've seen organisations like QBE and many others follow suit and do the same thing. Um, and what's interesting, particularly with the Medibank case study, is that... Um, they had similar statistics, you yeah. know, very like, around 5%, I think it was, of parental leave was taken by yeah. men. And within a year, that was high 20%. So I think it was 27, yeah. 28% of parental leave was taken by men. It was a real shift.
1: Yeah. Um, so
0: it's interesting, the policy doesn't do it all for you because it is a culture shift as well. Yeah, so it needs us. role modeling, needs. Um, us you know for us to challenge our own norms and our own thinking um the questions we ask if a a guy comes in and says you know my wife's 15 weeks pregnant do you say great let's talk about what leave you intend to take or you go or do you just say congratulations and move on with the conversation so it's that cultural piece that comes along with the policy that needs work as well Um, so that's where we are in terms of the job share part of your question um i think that there is still a way to go in terms of redesigning roles and how we think about roles so that we can actually invite more people to participate in the work workplace now whether that's parents caregivers people with disabilities um looking at how we default to a full-time role um it's you know it's still the default when I left Medibank, I did think, oh, do I get a part-time gig at the same yeah. time as starting my business? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what, David? There were hardly any part-time really? senior roles for someone of my experience in the market. Yeah. For junior-level roles, I would have had to take a step back in terms of the responsibility level and the salary level in order to access something yeah. that was part-time.
1: Yeah, interesting. So I
0: think you know we've got a real opportunity when it comes to designing roles to think about, yeah. do we default to full-time, in the office, this yeah. location? Or could we open up and really challenge some of those barriers in role design? Um, and that could be job share, that could be part-time. Yeah. The only other thing I want to add to that is um, whilst part-time and job share are often helpful in people accessing opportunities, yeah. what they can do if we sort of push people towards those too much is can limit the opportunity someone has in terms of economic Yes. Um, wealth yeah. right so if we've only got low-level roles that are you know 20 hours a week then yeah. and particularly filled by women which is a pattern i see in organizations yeah. is that superannuation contributions over time decrease yeah. so we then start to have that wealth gap that yeah, gender absolutely. wealth gap so we need to just everything's just that balancing act yeah. of it may create opportunities but it also could present inequities down the track as well
1: yeah yeah absolutely um, do you think the Scandinavian countries are still the gold standard of, you know, this whole equality of, of work, of parenting?
0: Yeah, look, I think it's definitely the the models that we, we look to in terms of being yeah. more advanced. And um, what's interesting, again, if you look at some of the rankings, OECD rankings around gender equality, Um, that, you know, those countries still top top the lists quite often. Yeah. Um, And Australia has actually moved backwards in the last couple of years on that list. Um, A couple of reasons for that. Whilst Australia has um, pretty gender-equal education attainment, so, you know, men and women um, or people of all genders equally uh, accessing uh, qualifications, it's what happens after university ends, right? And it's those social norms of the impact of caregiving and that sort of thing that um, you start to see fewer women in uh, leadership positions. So even in Australia right now, um, well, this was last year, but the top 200 companies, only 10 of those top 200 companies um, had female CEOs. Wow. So it's still a way to go in terms of that aspect. The second part, which had taken us a few steps yeah. back on the rankings, was um, our political environment as well. So yeah. less women in politics, yeah. um, which I think due to the recent elections probably yeah, shifting. I think that will shift. That will shift. So, so it'll it be. It be interesting to see that pattern. But yeah, I think definitely Scandinavian countries, there's something to watch and and take a look at in terms of how that's um how that's playing yeah, out. That's
1: interesting. I, I thought it might have been something different because I wonder if Covid's been the great accelerator and amplifier of many things. And you know, I guess if you look at traditionally males being in an office environment, as you said, um now picking up the kids from school, yeah. just as, as the first example that came into mind, that's definitely increased. More people have been forced to work from home. Well everyone's pretty much forced to work from home at the moment various times. Yeah. So I did think it maybe it's sort of balanced out a bit, but it's quite yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think that there would be there's research to show that um, you know that that more more men have stepped up um, in terms of the the caregiving and yeah. those incidental moments—drop-offs, pickups, running the kids to basketball, yeah. whatever soccer—I think in your case, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so I think it has been an accelerator in many ways of um, normalizing things across genders, but it doesn't mean that that by default will continue. No. So I think on one hand, what um, the the forced—and I I do say this quite openly—it's been a forced work at home <coughs> experiment. It hasn't been yeah, a absolutely. true hybrid, dispersed, uh, distributed way of working. It hasn't been deliberate or by design. So we were kind of forced into it. Some loved it, some hated it. We can design it differently. We can take the things that worked, take them forward, the things that didn't learn from them, that growth mindset we need to apply. Um, But I think we we can't assume that just because remote working has opened up more opportunities that it will be the great equaliser moving forward. um, Because... We need to make sure that people who work from home a little bit more aren't, um, you know, they're, they're not prevented from progressing in their career yeah. and limited for accessing career and development opportunities. So if yeah. everything happens in the office, we've seen yeah. a few CEOs in the media say, you know, everyone can work from home if they want, but they'll be limited in terms of career development. Yeah, yeah. Not helpful, right? Not because helpful. We, we do need to make sure that, we consider what does a hybrid career development programme look like in a workforce? Yeah. What does hybrid career mobility look like in a workforce? Yeah. Um, and who's going to benefit and who's going to miss out as a
1: result? Yeah, fantastic. Just, so we've just had a few questions come in. I want to deal with the first one um, briefly and then we've got a couple of other great follow-up questions where we'll get to after we speak about you know definitions, diversity, what it means, and that type of thing. So, so Gary's uh, mentioned that his organisation has just released its response um, to the WGEA. Yes. Females represented 70% of the primary caregivers, but 100% of the primary caregivers not returning to work. I assume that probably means full, on a full-time basis. What's your experience? And I guess the $64,000 question, how can we get more females back to work?
0: Yeah, look, that's a great call-out, Gary. And I think what what I really like about this question is um, it's data-driven. So that's probably one of my first tips of the day is um, make sure where possible... You know, diversity, equity, inclusion is a business challenge like everything else, so accessing data and information is going to be really valuable. So you're not just going on gut feel. You're not just saying, there's one person in my team who hasn't returned, therefore we have a problem. You know, dig deeper. So 70% of primary caregivers are women but 100% of those caregivers are not returning to work so again I think this comes back to that question around um, digging into why that's the case in focus groups that I've run Gary around this um, this very topic um, the return to work experience is not considered so when we onboard a new starter we really do think about how do we give them a great experience. Yeah. It's no different when we're re-onboarding people back from parental leave. Yeah. We need to give it as much rigor because there's so, it's such an ever-changing environment that they would have missed out on so much context. Yeah. Um, at the moment, we've got, what, two in five people actively looking for work. So yeah. attrition's pretty high. We've got delayed attrition. Half the team that were there when they went nine months ago... Yeah. are now no longer there, potentially, there's a lot of change going on. And so it feels like a really big change to yeah. come back into the workforce. Definitely. So we have to really consider that employee experience and yeah. think about the re-onboarding. So my first um, point would be, really consider that re-onboarding. Yeah. Have return to work plans with um, with your employees yeah. about what they want, how they're feeling, how they're thinking. Um, if you're having events while well, they're on leave you've got they've got 10 keep in touch days that they can legally use invite them no obligation because you know they might be going through a struggle with (coughs) breastfeeding or whatever it might be but absolutely make sure that you're keeping in touch you've got a return to work plan and you're re-onboarding them and i think as well that idea of it's actually legally a legal requirement to offer someone flexibility um as a primary caregiver Um, returning to work from um, parental leave so make sure that you are being as flexible as possible in the role design and helping them sort of you know make sure that they feel like there's an opportunity for them to come back to that makes it worth their while because that's the other risk is sometimes we can say they're coming back we'll make it easy for them we won't we won't overload them yeah and you've got these people who have just put their kids in into daycare going are they okay To be sat there, to be saying, just check out the travel policy and see what's changed. And they're like, oh, give me something meaty. I want it to, you know, make make it worth my while. So don't make any assumptions and just really be led by the person as well.
1: And just to get your view on the the counter, because we're talking about return to work, but, you know, perhaps more from a male return Mm -hmm. to work. And I do have an observation in 25 years and, you know, in the people industry that people get, and I look at my father, for example, people do get trapped in employment. Yes. And I think in the last two and a half years, there are a lot of people who've realised that actually, you know, I like, and I mean this very respectfully, because, you know, you've got to provide for your family and put food on the table, but people do get trapped in work. It's mm. was happening; like, it been happening for hundreds of years, from the days of, you know, people share crop farmers farmers, the Industrial Revolution, and so on. And so, you know, fully respect to people working, but a lot of that cohort, it's actually been better for them COVID, because... Yeah. They've been working remotely. They might have 10 years and they're hoping to retire. They'd like the paycheck more than the work. Yeah. They don't have the commute. They get to dress, you know, in their casual. They don't have to wear, you know, shirt, trousers or whatever. And, And for that, so we need to recognize that that is a genuine situation that's happening. Yes. So how can we sort of help that group? Yeah. Who I've noticed, you know, might be a bit hesitant to get back into the office two to three days a week. It's creating the environment that people want to opt into, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think. Well, that's part of it is creating the environment where people want to opt into it. Yeah. Um, but I think you've hit on a great point: is that um, you know, reg- regardless of um of background, for many of us, we can get caught in these traps. Yeah, or, and, and, and trapped into employment, as you described it, is is one thing. And I think there's also trapped into the social norms that are expected of you as well. Um, So it does take courage to um, to, to go against that stigma and what's expected. And I've known, I've done a number of focus groups and uh, one-on-one conversations with men who want to participate more in caregiving, but feel like there's such a stigma Around their career that that they're sort of really putting their neck on the line, yeah, yeah, and like welcome, welcome to our world of women for over the period of time. But it's it's a genuine challenge and a barrier. Yeah. Um. And I think if we if we want to progress uh, gender equality, we have to consider how we break down the stigma of men participating in caregiving and um, normalising it. So for people like you know, as you've mentioned, um, yeah, you mentioned your father in that example, but you know, giving them the permission. resetting permissions is really important like I know that that was sort of the path that you think you should follow but have you considered these other options these are the policies these are the benefits these are the options and just keep resetting those permissions don't leave it to chance
1: and I also think I just wanted to give kudos to a comment you made about the courage of starting your own business and You know, the phrase leap and the net will appear. And I know you said you're considering some part-time work. And I do think what you've done, and obviously there's no data I have to support this, so I apologise in advance, but I would imagine your business from just leaping into it you know, both-footed as opposed to a bit of a side hustle, which I yeah. personally don't necessarily always agree with, has enabled you to be more successful quicker because it's had your undivided attention. And I know that's scary, and but if you, you know, you've got some money to one side for six months and that can be quite daunting, right? You're yeah. walking away from paycheck safety, but amazing that you were able to take that, you know, yeah. leap into the unknown. That's right.
0: And, and I think some of that is, as well, and, and going back to the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion is that... I have been afforded um, many opportunities because I think I have been in default yeah. norms as, as well. You know, I have been in those majorities. I, I'm, a, I'm a queer woman as well, so you yeah. know, I've definitely faced some barriers, but I've also had some privilege and some advantages yeah. in um, mentors that I've had and access to those things, and I've been able to build up some financial stability, which allowed me to take that leap, yeah,
1: right? Yeah.
0: So I think that idea of, yes, it's about how brave and how I've worked hard but it's also about recognizing my own privilege in that situation as well and knowing that not everyone um will be you know a recent migrant to Australia who's rebuilding their life for example can't take the same risks that I can take having been here as a white woman over the last you know 15 years of my career building that up so it's about just recognizing and that's the difference between equality and, and, and equity yeah. you know equality is giving everyone the same opportunity but equity is meeting where pe- people where they are yeah. so I might not need extra grants to start my business because I have some financial capital yeah. but someone else might need some extra you know grants from the government or whatever that might look like to um, to build them back up because we're not all com- coming from the same position
1: yeah exactly um, excellent really enjoying this conversation we, were, um, we could be at this all day but I know we're strictly to an hour. Um, definition. I'm just going to sort of rewind it a bit. So give us your d- high-level definition of DEI. Yeah. What does it mean to you?
0: Well, diversity is the um, the all the ways in which we differ, right? Yeah. So if you think about it really simply in two ways, it's sort of our social identities and our professional identity so it's the fact that i'm a woman i'm queer i'm 39 years old i've got two kids it's all those social things it's also the professional identities so the fact that i'm a recruiter by background i've been a senior executive i'm a graduate of the australian institute of directors i bring all those many hats and experiences so that diversity is sort of the identities and one thing i want to call out is that we are more than one thing
1: yeah right like you know
0: we are more than one thing and in australia we get caught in this trap of just talking about diversity as gender equality and 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 the gender split in an organization and that's what today's conversation is encouraging us to grow beyond yeah that that quite narrow conversation yeah um so diversity is all the ways in which we differ and it's a relational concept so you're you're not a diverse person if you're the only Uh, you know the only white middle-aged guy in the room you're not you're not the you're not a diverse person because that is your identity as a group in the room we are diverse because there are lots of different identities present so that's the other thing is diversity is a relational concept you can't say i want a diverse hire because that's you you, you need to look at the composition of your team and say who do we need that we don't have in this team what are the identities and the experiences that are missing that would strengthen our team so that's the diversity part equity and equality I kind of just covered um so equity yeah. is meeting people where they're at so going into a local library um some people will need a ramp some people will happily be able to you know use the stairs so this is about you know meeting people where they're at um and equality is giving everyone um the same thing so yeah. it is more that concept of what is perceived as fairness um and inclusion is an ongoing act yeah right yeah. it's it's, it's not a, like we're an inclusive organization. Okay, you said that one second ago. Are you still now, yeah. right? What is it you're doing every day to ensure that people are heard, that they are celebrated, that they are respected, yeah. they're connected in the organization, and that they're able to progress? Yeah. Um, and someone put in the comments earlier around psychological safety and yeah. inclusion and psychological safety are such linked concepts. Yeah. You know, does someone in your, in your team feel safe to, first of all, be included? In the team, second, be feel safe to um, to learn, safe to contribute, and safe to challenge the status quo. So, if you're my boss and I've got an opinion that differs to yours, is it safe for me to say, "Hey, David, I think we're going down the wrong path here um, because of this"? Um, And will you listen, or will you dismiss me? Or if there's two people in your team having a debate, do you have the uh, inclusive leadership capability to manage conflict. Yes. Because some people think inclusion is about having a nice culture where everyone yeah. gets along.
1: What is a nice culture?
0: Well, that's we that's go. a great question, but I do hear that sometimes yeah. that people say it's, it's where everyone gets along. And yeah. there is an aspect of um, connection that is part of inclusion, but it's also, and I really truly mean this, it's about the ability to manage diverse opinions where everyone does feel heard, and you do have to still chart a way forward, Right. So not dealing with conflict and just yeah. sweeping it under the rug will not create an inclusive environment. You do have to have those typical leadership traits of being able to, to manage through difference and manage and leverage those uh, diverse thoughts and opinions.
1: So it comes down a lot of that to communication. Uh, an individual that I find particularly inspirational is Ray Dalio. Um, and I often share his his content on LinkedIn, but, you know, it's that whole healthy, robust discussion. It's like, you know, Gemma, you and I could disagree and we come from a different opinion, but I'll listen to you and take it on board, you'll listen to me, and then we'll try and find out something that kind of works for both of us yeah. or works for the business. Yeah. So I think it's actually having that aptitude to sort of take that feedback on and say, you yeah, know, maybe there is another way.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think in that example as well, as a leader, we we have to consider... The role that power plays in these dynamics, yeah. and sometimes we don't talk about that in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, sometimes when you talk about power, people go, "Oh, that's an awkward concept or conversation." Yeah. And we, we all have power. It's just really how the the power is used in the organisation, um, and you know whether that's structurally how yeah. decisions get made, um, but also just the power dynamics. You know, if it's the loudest person in the room whose opinion is always heard and taken forward how does what does that mean for your reflective thinkers and how you get the best from their contribution as well so just you know there's some great great uh work by Brene brown and and others around power yeah um so definitely dig into that because if you're not thinking about that with diversity equity and inclusion you're kind of missing a missing a trick and it's not a bad thing it's just about how is power used in the organization and how does it either support or compromise inclusion
1: yeah i guess we're quite lucky in australia that our management style as a generalisation is quite collegiate as opposed to maybe some more hierarchical parts of the world. But still at the same time, I do think there's a balancing act between sometimes decisions you just need to make. There's a danger between management by committee all the time, isn't there? So you yeah. do. there comes a point in time where you do just need to make a decision and crack on with it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, some, that's also sort of a bit of a myth around inclusion is, it is it's sort of slow and it can be, can yeah. be hard. Yeah. Um, and not, notwithstanding that getting diverse opinions and working things through can take a little bit more time but it doesn't mean that we have an absence of decision making. Yeah. Or, you know, I think inclusion is about clarity as well. And, yeah. and people really are seeking clarity. And that idea of if you have diversity, um, working in more of a collective way towards a common goal, you know, so clear goals are part of inclusion yeah. as well, right? You yeah. know, we're all one, we're t- a team working towards this. Yeah. How do we? negotiate those different opinions in service of that goal yeah um because if you have an absence of that it becomes a bit of a free-for-all everyone's different opinions but in service of what
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly such a all-encompassing area a bit like our previous discussion around culture which is you know all over you know everywhere so a few questions to come in actually that leads us into a great question from Milana. so basically where can you start Companies know, and we're we're you know we're seeing it increasingly. You know you need to have your DEI plan, if you like, for want of yep. a better way of putting it. But where can you start? Because it, it could be it can be quite overwhelming, right?
0: Yeah, it can be quite overwhelming, and and I think that's part of um, sort of what's holding us back is the there's this sense of overwhelm. There's a sense of perfection, which is oh gosh, if we get this wrong, are we going to get cancelled? Which I believe in accountability rather than, you know, we yeah. call people in and we say, if this is what you've said, you said you want a diverse and inclusive work- workforce yeah. and workplace. Um, if you're doing things that are going against that, you want people to call you in and invite you to, to hold a mirror up and, and investigate that. So I think part of it is the overwhelm and part of it is this um, fear of maybe negative backlash or connotations because yeah. there's a huge reputational risk component. Like if you, even if you look at, since 2018 in um, investor calls with CEOs, the topic of equity, fairness, and inclusion has increased by 658% in those calls. Investors are saying, what are you doing about gender equality? What are you doing around Black Lives Matter? What are you doing around equity and inclusion? So this is is a big topic, Um, so it's hard to shy away from now. But to the question around where do you start, um, where possible if you can access data Feedback and insights absolutely do that. Um, And so what that might look like for an organization is starting to understand um, how diverse their workforce is and what that looks like also at a team level. So I've worked with companies where they say, we're actually 45, 55 in terms of our gender split across the organization. And they seem to be quite happy with that. If you dig um, under the layers and yeah. you say, well, are all the women in the in the, in the band six lower level yeah, roles? Yeah, yeah, what
1: do that like 45% actually yeah. do?
0: Yeah, and, and is, is all of your tech, you know, 90% of your tech teams yeah. now, 90% of your HR teams women, and you don't have an operating rhythm where that diversity are yeah. mixing and working together. So new ways of working around agile and squads and that sort of thing can, can be a great way of bringing yeah. diversity from different pockets together. Um, So I would start with data and insights where possible to understand not only your composition, but also where you have workforce segregation, as they say. So where you might have pockets where it's more male dominated, more female dominated and look to ways to to address that in a targeted way. But the big thing is inclusion, actually. You know, we, we focus way too much on the representation and it is important. Because it's access to economic growth and wealth and all of those important things. But if it's not an inclusive environment, your attrition figures are just going to show that over time, right? So it is about looking at how do we create an inclusive place to work. So I would look at things like integrating inclusive leadership traits into your leadership capability framework. I would be hiring, asking inclusive questions, to test for inclusive behaviours in interviewing so I'd really start with the I and and the inclusion focus and get a bit of a plan around what that looks like flexible working, breaking down social norms, resetting permissions in the organisation really taking that view of inclusion and then starting to measure inclusion through surveying, so asking a simple question around do you feel that you belong at this organisation measuring that, I've got one organisation who Have set a target for seventy-five percent for that for this year, and by twenty twenty-five, they want hundred percent of people to feel like they belong in the organisation. It's an ambitious target, but it's one that says they're not shying away from creating the conditions. You're dealing with it head-on, and also within that seventy-five percent that perhaps they've got this year, if you look at it by demographics, it's not the same. So overall, it's seventy-five percent but perhaps it's 50% for people with disabilities. And yeah. that's not okay. And so it's, yeah. it's being able to segment the data and look at it to yeah. say, what is it telling us? And then Definitely. you just do these loops of we listen, get yeah. the data, get the insights. We seek to understand through one-on-one conversations. I'm a fan of anonymous channels as well, because I yeah. think until you build the interpersonal trust, having anonymous chan- and yeah. the safety to yeah. speak up, Having anonymous feedback is better than no feedback. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, using those feedback loops to put that into um, into practice. So uh, listen, seek to understand, get to the root cause, identify the patterns, and then disrupt the yeah. patterns through action. Um, and just don't forget to communicate. Yeah, You're doing yeah. stuff as well. I've, I've heard organizations say, but we've changed seven of our policies. And um, did you tell anyone? Have you encouraged anyone to participate in those policy yeah. changes? Have you reset the cultural yeah. norms that go with it? So, yeah. Um, I was just going to come to
1: uh, policies, actually, and it's great that you flipped it and talking about the inclusion, which is actually, you know, the, the crux of the matter, really. Because you mentioned tech, and, you know, I've been in around that area for 25 years, and we see it a lot now of people mandating you know, our policy is 50% of shortlists must be females. Yeah. And you say, well, hang on a second, if 30% of grads are females, then yeah. until we fix that and we get into the schools and we talk about STEM education, which is yeah. why we're delighted to sponsor Go Girl Vic IT. Yes, um, we're not going to fix that. And also, and I get the concept, I've got two young daughters and I'm 100% trying to help them have a, an equal footing in the world. Um, however... The best people are the best people, regardless if they're, you know, male, female, whatever it might be. Yeah. So how? what's your view around, that to me is quite a draconian, sort of quite almost a transactional measure. Yeah. It's a bit like we'll put a tender in for a, a client and they'll say, send us a copy of your DEI policy. In the same time as they might say, can you give us a copy of a workplace health and safety policy? Yeah. So it's actually making it real, which is why I like you talking about the inclusion piece. Yeah. As opposed to, yeah, we've ticked that box. You know, yeah. so I do wonder how many of the CEOs and the investors, they're actually then going and doing the due diligence. Like, yeah, you've given us a copy of your policy, yeah, that's yeah. cool. But what does it actually look like in, yeah. in reality?
0: That, that what's the experience? So there's a the policy experience. which is an intent. And then there's the what's the lived experience of women in your workforce as that yeah. example. And so... I think a couple of points um, you've mentioned there are one that it can feel transactional, so I think we need to it feels think like a about balance
1: exercise. Yeah, exercise. and so
0: I think we need to look at what are the short-term strategies that are effective, and what are the longer-term. Where do we need to play the long, long, you know, the long game and get in at pipelining and, and talent pooling and and, um, and education, as you've mentioned. So. Consider those levers that you've got to pull. I do feel sorry for recruiters and because I'm biased because I used to be one, yeah. um, but it, quite often it's the, we just need to hire more X, Y, Z, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that there's a, there's a necessary attention put, um, to be put on hiring, but the question I would put back is why would a woman want to work here? Or why would someone who's not part of the dominant group in your team, what is the value proposition for them?
1: Yeah. What is it gonna
0: feel like for them to work here? Because if we yeah. put them into an environment that we're not sure if it's inclusive or safe for them, that's a risk for the yeah, yeah. brand. For example, yeah, a risk a for brand. the business, hundred um, percent. And it's 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 something that's a risk for their talent brand as well. So stop flipping the questions from ones that focus on the diversity to ones that um, focus on how is the environment and the conditions going to support diverse diversity.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I think the the other point um, that you talked about there is around the. Uh, that long game thing so you know yeah. don't don't always think that these short term quick fixes quite a yeah. western way of thinking where are the quick fixes some of this just like Shane talked about with culture yeah. it takes a long time to build
1: yeah. so you have to You've stick constantly with it. Nurture
0: it constantly nurture it uh, measure it over time collect data interrupt patterns um, yeah this is that's kind of yeah play the long game
1: yeah so we we're talking a bit about the tight market for talent there so what are some of the priorities to be, you know, for someone to join the organisation now that we can talk through? Another great uh, question from Milana, And also, how have the DEI opportunities changed, if I can just answer that question, in this new way of hybrid working, even though admittedly, to your point, it has been forced?
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, it was, it, for many organisations, it was forced. And there are a handful, you know, I think Medibank, Telstra, etc., who led things like All Rolls Flex way before COVID. Yeah. They were on the front foot. So, um, but you're right, it was a bit of a forced experiment. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of uh, in a talent type market, what should we consider in terms of DEI um, as an employer? What, what sort of, you know, what are the standout uh, action items? Um, I think... You know, not not just the, the policies are one thing. So talking about how you have these benefits and these policies, things around parental leave, flexible working. I think the other thing, and you mentioned this before around right person for the role. Yeah. Is around how you can challenge or and I keep going back to this challenging role design. Yeah, yeah. The right person for the role is a great concept, but if we never change how we think about role design, mm. then it's only ever gonna benefit certain people. And as I said before, maybe that's full time, close to a CBD area. We're missing out on talent that are maybe a bit more regional. We're missing out on talent yeah. that might have accessibility challenges. You know, not all the tram stops in Melbourne are accessible for people in wheelchairs. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's yeah, still exactly. an accessibility like still. challenge yeah, in definitely. our major cities. So we have to really challenge that concept of role design. And that's where thinking about, does this role have to be based in this city, or can we open it up to other cities? Yeah. Can this be flexible? If we say flexible, what do we mean?
1: Yeah. Is it the
0: place that's flexible? Is it the hours that are flexible?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, are we paying on outcomes, or are we paying on hours still? Yeah. Deliverable? Are we doing a four-day uh, four day week, or a nine-day fortnight? Like, What are the options that we can offer out? Um, it's the number one question I get with talent teams at the moment is, Is the role hybrid? How many days in the office?
1: we see that a lot.
0: You're going to be seeing that a lot. So I think your value proposition around your ways of working,
1: um,
0: it's more important now than things like we've got a beer keg and we've got a kombucha tap, bean bags. Bean bags. You know, these are all like little nice things that help your employer brand, but in terms of a solid value proposition have to break down the barriers yeah. that have presented themselves to underrepresented groups in the workplace yeah. and that you can do that through role design you can do that through flexible working you can do that through removing unnecessary norms in your policies even dress codes yeah. uniform policies that sort of thing I've seen think I had one client saying their uniform their, their dress code policy said wear a nice blouse wear a nice pair of yeah. slacks it was sort of written from the 50s yeah. Um, and it was very, um, yeah, it was kind of a Stepford Wives little vibe going on there. So just really challenging language, norms, yeah. and, and, and being able to show the experience of people in the workplace. So great that you've got some tar- targets around 40% women in leadership. What does it look like now? Yeah, what's, what's um, the real position? Yeah, what's the real position? And how do women experience the workplace? You know, yeah. I, I don't want to just see a statement that says, we're an inclusive organization. I want videos of... Women saying how they've progressed, I want I want to know what you're doing around accessibility in your workplace. Yeah. Um, I've, there's two proof points actually I wanted to mention from clients of mine. One said that recently a senior person decided to join them because they had a disability inclusion action plan. Yeah. And they said that was one thing when they were considering two other roles. They thought, you know what, you've got clear actions, clear yeah. deadlines, and you're committing to doing some change in this space. Another declined a role because the organisation had no commitment around reconciliation.
1: Um,
0: And so, you know, these things that, you know, that that person wasn't someone with a disability and the other person wasn't someone part of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, but it comes back to that concept of it doesn't have to happen to me for it to matter to me. And, you know, there's been that recent Gartner uh, research that I was mentioning to you before, which says that um, employees are leaving organisations that... um, aren't demonstrating ethical behaviours or inclusive environments, not yeah. just for them, but for others around them. So what they observe of how others are treated is becoming the fuel for them to either stay or leave the organisation. So really, really important that, you know, if, if you're, yeah, you've got to consider not only the, um, you know, the fact that this benefits people who have been not represented in your organisation yeah. previously, but it benefits everyone.
1: Yeah, I suppose we should call it out. What we're talking about really is bullying, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. And how people, if they see people being bullied, they don't like it. And I also think post the pandemic, people want more meaning and purpose. Was a funny anecdote from, or probably 20 years ago, there was a competitive business I knew in, in the UK. And if people were having a tough time with it with sales, the culture was to go and buy a new suit. Yeah. I mean, it's just a load of nonsense. I mean, how is that going to help you? Yeah, you know, get your mojo back and you know become more fulfilled and content at work. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Really. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, and we uh, have
0: to be careful with things like feedback. I, and I saw this on LinkedIn last week, where it was a recruiter saying, you know, people people need to start wearing makeup in interviews again, and really picking at the, you know, the personal aesthetic of someone rather than, you know, what it is they're saying, how they're demonstrating their. Um, Their experience and their potential for the role and of course there is an element of aesthetic but you know so much of that is is sexism racism you know like oh tie your hair back for someone who's got you know textured hair or afro hair like you know they think that they're helping you by saying you know smarten up because you'll get the job but actually you're saying to someone fit in and don't be you and so there's an aspect of how do you focus on feedback that helps someone move forward with their skills and their experience in their career rather than get the nicest suit
1: yeah yeah definitely but I also think you know you need to sort of have that professionalism and for example there was a an anecdote someone shared with me for a client around it was video interviewing and and the person who was a male candidate was there eating an apple in an interview sort of chomping on it and I thought well if you were in the office environment I personally I wouldn't if I was going for an interview get an apple out and say you don't mind if I eat my apple in the first meeting I think that was a bit unusual so I do think it's sort of getting beyond that it doesn't really matter where you are yeah just you know and I think we need to have a environment that says you can brave you know to wear your jeans and a polo shirt or yeah. a shirt yeah. or you dress want for to wear if you want yeah dress for your day that's fine or, or and that doesn't really matter where the, where you are you know so i think it's sort of um i th- just think we've got a bit of a resetting of society and the other thing i just wanted to i know we were talking about this a bit is you know it shouldn't be on marginalized or tradition historically marginalized parts of society to fly the flag for dei yeah you know myself as a you know a middle-class, married, middle-aged, married man with two daughters from Bristol. Yep. It's as much my responsibility. It reminds me of the quote from a, a great book, actually, Jay Shetty, Think Like a Monk. And, you know, the, the phrase from a Tibetan monk was, you know, you must um, plant seeds under whose trees you shall not sit. Yeah. And you said something very similar when we were talking before this. Yeah. Um, that show.
0: I think it's that, similar that concept of, you know, it, it doesn't have to happen to me for it to matter to me. And, yeah. you know, we share, you know, humanity and people, you know, we're all human. And yes, so that means that if you if you do believe in that, then you will go out of your way to remove the in- inequities and inequalities that are barriers for others that perhaps you don't experience yourself. So, yeah. you know, what, what that requires is for you to also believe people when they're saying to you hey david i've experienced some some racism and i want to talk to you about it yeah you know you don't say oh there's no we're multicultural there's no racism here you say thank you for bringing it to my attention yeah let's talk about it um and you believe you believe first
1: yeah that's the main thing And, and,
0: and that's the idea of empathy right it's not walking in other people's shoes it's believing them when when they tell you you know, their experience of walking in their own shoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, So creating that that space is is also um, really important.
1: And um, what are some of the things you're seeing that companies are doing to you know to a promote the DEI and I guess a lot of that is also linked into you know is it book clubs or celebrities come into the office or for us we do a learning session on a Tuesday with our sales team and provide you know pizzas afterwards and just different what what are you seeing working out there and what companies are doing to communicate DEI policies and making it real in companies any sort of ideas really yeah
0: I think that um you know when you think about those aspects of inclusion um you know feeling respected feeling heard um, yeah. Contributing, connected. So I've seen people do um, virtual and in-person connection type festivals, almost like O Week or um, I don't know what you call it in Australia. Did you call it O Week? You know, at uni when you kind of you know you, you see all the different
1: Freshers, weeks, freshers the NDU, Week, Freshers Week, yeah, O Week here I think it's, it's called. called is it?
0: Yeah. Um, so they're doing these sort of these these reconnection opportunities to bring yeah. people um, p- uh, bring people together. Um, the other thing is progression. So Um, internal mobility is really big at the moment, so doubling down on career pathways, career development, um, I know Linktree are doing some great work around um, their becoming framework, which is is all about growth and development and clarity of where people sit, so I think connection, um, lateral moves, internal mobility, um, giving people a chance to develop and grow into different areas um there's a whole range of things that, that people are doing but they're are the couple of things that stand out around yeah, connection okay. and progression
1: yeah and this wasn't scripted but there's a, another business that i support called the career conversation they are very big in that internal mobility and we certainly see it as i mean it's so hard to find people why wouldn't you just retain the people you've got as much as possible and manage their careers effectively through an organization you know it's a given i mean People will, will leave organisations, people will join organisations. Yeah. I always say to, to, to my, my crew here, it, you know, it's a, it's a job, hopefully it's a career, but it's certainly not a prison sentence. Yeah. So, you know, you need to <coughs> sort of recognise that, but yeah. I think that whole retention yeah. mobility piece is so important. I want to get to a question from Leo? we're nearly done for time, and then I want to talk about neurodiversity, if we can Yeah, may. cool. Um, so, yeah. Leo, and I, I'm not aware of this TED Talk, Thomas Chaporo... Presnessic, yep. uh, hopefully I've pronounced it right, points to the issue of competence, i.e. incompetence causing fear, fixed mindset that shows up as rigidity and hierarchies rather than a gender issue which creates 80 to 20% of the divide. <coughs> I guess we're talking about does fear drive inaction, inappropriate yep. outcomes?
0: Yeah, and I think, um, Leo, thanks for mentioning that. That TED Talk. I think everyone should go and um, take a look at it. I, I haven't watched it for a little while, but it is a good one, and it does talk about, um, yeah, the the incompetence. It's a fear based mindset, so a fixed mindset set and running um, from a position, operating from a position of fear. Yeah. Um, it does derail um, team performance and um, uh, inclusion as well. But um, highly recommend on the back of Leo's comment there to go and check um, te- check out Thomas's work. It's well researched around. Yeah, some of the biases that we have around gender, and also bringing it back to the idea of who is seen as competent and incompetent. And they've done some research around some prominent female leaders globally, and how, you know, sometimes they have to work 10 times as hard um, because there's so much scrutiny around their leadership, and that there are um, examples of, um, of of incompetent men. Thomas talks about there, there are lots of incom- uh, incompetent yeah, men um, as there are of, of all genders but um, talks about how we let that slip yeah. more than we, we kind of hold women to a different level, um, at a different standard sometimes. So it, back to that previous point that you made around um, internal mobility, why don't we promote people we often have a bi- number of biases, there's about 180 cognitive biases, yeah. but some of them that creep up as to why we don't give people a shot internally yeah. are safety bias, so yeah. we, we think okay. it's better to hire someone. Safety bias? Yeah, safety bias is, is in the workplaces when we um, might hire someone who has you know 110% of the resume filled yeah. rather than give someone a chance who's got 80% and that 20% potential needs to be yeah. nurtured. Um, we've never seen them do it before. Therefore, can they really do it? We'd yeah. rather take on someone who ticks all the boxes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that safety bias comes in. I don't want to look bad backing back in the underdog, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, some of right. these yeah. things come come into play as well as similarity bias. If they're not like me, I might not kind of um, promote them. It may, our ego gets in the way. We think that someone who's like us. Um, you know, we we promote them and give them the opportunities. I think yeah. I have personally, I've probably done it in the past myself. When I reflect, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. someone that's a mini me, and I think, oh, yeah, come on, I really, really that. want to back them, be their mentor, yeah. sponsor them, um, suggest them for other roles, maybe
1: see a bit of yourself in them. Yeah, what's but
0: who who am I not promoting? Who am yeah, I not sponsoring? Right. So it's just checking in with some of those key biases um, and looking at where you can be, and that's one of the traits of inclusive leaders. Um, there's a corn fairy. Um, report on inclusive leaders that yep. if, if the audience want to check that out it's uh, five traits and six capabilities yeah we'll and one, try and find it and share, share it, on it after. Page. But, but one of the things is that you mobilize talent right and you yeah. in particular you mobilize talent who might not look like you or act yeah. like you yeah. or sound like you yeah. um so that's that that view of you know mobilizing talent but yeah. also Fantastic. having that dni lens yeah
1: yeah a couple of minutes can you just talk a bit more about neurodiversity yeah Because that's obviously very important. And what can companies do? You know, is it just the standard psychometric type stuff? But how do you create a culture of genuine neurodiversity? Because that ultimately makes organisations more successful, I would argue. Yeah,
0: I think, you know, the first thing is to consult with people who are neurodivergent. And I've seen great examples um, again, using Medibank as the reference, they have um, an amazing network, um, a neurodiversity network of employees, yeah. um, and, and a, a kind of a network of, um, of people who uh, share their experiences, yeah. give feedback, create a support place for, for one another. Um, so it's really powerful. And I think what, what organizations can do is really challenge their own norms. So, particularly even in hiring, you know, oh, they didn't have great eye contact. Well, you know, that's a very neurotypical way of thinking. So look at what what you're assessing for and what you expect um, people. What are the standards that you're expecting? And are they quite neurotypical? Another that came up um, in a recent focus group I had was um, in performance reviews saying, you know, do they deliver, you know, on time, within the deadlines, you know, all that sort of thing. And for for some um, neurodivergent folk, you know, yeah. deadline extensions or talking through what support they need to get get through to the end of the project, or organising the work differently to yeah. suit their way of working, you're going to get amazing outcomes. But if you default to the work's got to be delivered in this way on this timing, it's not always going to work. So yeah. just in where you can flex. Um, And again, that's the difference between equal. Everyone has the same rules versus equity, which is, well, those rules work for 80% of you, but for 20% of you, we're going to meet you where you are so that we get the best performance from you and for the team.
1: And that'll be best for the business. So I think we're about out of time. And it's such a big, critical topic. And, you know, I do think in closing, you know, be authentic, you know, it's a perfectly imperfect world and you're never going to get it right all the time as dylan said you can't please all the people all the time just some of the people some of the time so i think you know providing you're doing it from a position of you know kindness and authenticity um i think i think you know it'll be fine really
0: yeah be curious i think that's that's the other thing you know being being curious and um being open to changing your mind when new information is presented brilliant it's key to it so yeah thanks for having me and thanks for all the questions yeah
1: thanks for getting involved everybody we're out of time Gemma I know you're really busy thank you for your time and everybody I wish you a very successful and enjoyable and happy rest of the week namaste thank you
0: everyone This episode of Conversations with Thought Leaders was brought to you by Granite Consulting. To stay up to date with future episodes or access the library of past episodes, register for future events and other valuable resources, follow the Conversations with Thought Leaders LinkedIn page or visit the website at www.cwtleaders.com.